Salutations to all the nations. Welcome to a suave experience with your boy Darius D. Hopefully, you guys are doing well, and hopefully, all is well with you. All right, so we're continuing our series. Some of the things that God indeed hates. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So it's taken from Proverbs 6, if you are not aware of that. But before we get into it, if you are new here, welcome. If you're returning this here, thank you for stopping by. Once again, if you want to help your boy out, make sure you leave a five-star review on Apple iTunes, as well as make sure you subscribe to this podcast on whatever podcast platform you so choose to use. So it doesn't matter what you use, just make sure you subscribe to your boy DD, all right? So without that said, let's get into it. So it's taken from Proverbs 6. If you guys weren't aware, and I don't think I mentioned this in the first episode, but Proverbs was written by the great King Solomon who is known as to be the wisest in his generation. And uh, he is the direct son of David from the hands of Bathsheba. And if you're a scholar, you know what happened. Y'all know what happened, but I'm not going to explain. So we're on number three. So I'll just read it again in your hearing. So this is Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 21. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift into running into mischiefs, a straight, oh, a false witness that speaketh lies, and a he that soweth discord among the brethren my son keep thy father's commandments and forsake not the law of thy mother bind them or continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck so today we're going to be talking about the third one which is hands that shed innocent blood now this is tricky right because a lot of people think that the bible is against killing does it ever say that? No. It says, Thou shalt not murder, which is in Exodus chapter 25, which is the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. But what we have to understand is as soon as it comes to shedding of innocent blood, is basically alluding to or describing murder. That's what it's talking about. So let's just get definitions of this so that everything is clear so that everything is okay so when it comes to murder is basically the unlawful killing of one human being by another human being so it's a noun but the verb is to kill someone unlawfully without premeditation or with premeditation. So this is why we have to make sure we're clear in speech. I did mention that Jordan B. Peterson has a book called 12 Rules of Life. And one of the rules that he has in the book is you have to be precise in your speech. You have to be precise because you need to make sure that the person who is listening to you understands clearly what you mean. You're trying to mitigate or minimize 
the amount of ambiguity that is out there. Ambiguity. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, forget it. You'll forget that part, but I messed that one up, that word up. But you guys know, you guys are intellectual. Sometimes your boy stumbles, all right? But he's going to come back up right now. So when it comes to murder, we know that it's premeditated. We know that it is unlawful. So what we have to do is we know that killing in itself and of itself is not a bad thing. Because if you take the phrase or the term killing and you apply it to a different circumstance, you'll understand to your, by using reason and logic that is not a bad thing. Because when you apply killing in war, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yes, you do not want people to die. This is not dares advocating death. But what it is, is you're more you're more likely to be able to reason why someone would kill another person in war if we're at war with another nation. So that in that context is not a bad thing. And self-defense, if someone were to attack another person and then that person kills the person who is trying to defend him or herself ends up killing the perpetrator, then that would not be murdered. That's killing somebody based on and solely on self-defense. So God doesn't have an issue with that. And if you look throughout the Bible, God himself had slewed many people, him, him of himself, and also he got the children of Israel to go to war with other nations to wipe them out because they were so wicked and are causing so much harm throughout the earth with child sacrifices and all that sort of stuff. So, and if you think about it, God can't really murder anyone anyways because he is the giver of life. So if he takes it away, it's not really murder because he's the one that gave it to you in the first place. But we just got to make sure that these things are clear and they are precise. So when it comes to murder, the Bible and our definition from a secular perspective are in line. Is the unlawful premeditated killing of one human being by another. So the first murder in the Bible was who? That boy Cain. And I ain't talking from murder. No, menace to society. I'm not talking about that Cain. The OG Cain. All right. The one with the rock in Genesis chapter four. And that's one thing that we have to uh, think about. And what just came to my mind, came back to remember is that when we look into the story of Cain and Abel, how we know that is murder instead of just killing, because like I said, God doesn't have a problem with justified killing. And it doesn't mean like if someone did you dirty, you get them back. The Bible clearly says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay it. So you don't do it, God gets them back. You don't do it, you forgive and you pray for them. God will get them back. All right. Just had to say that again. So now you guys got any crazy ideas. So when we look at it, we're able to understand in this story, which is an important story because you can see, and one thing, Pastor Eastman, who is my pastor, uh, he's a great man of God. What he always says is that if you understand Genesis, you can understand the trajectory of the Bible in its totality because it's the beginning, right? So we have to understand, we want to understand why things are happening as such. We got to understand what's happening in the Bible. So if you look at um chapter four of Genesis, 
I'm just going to read it from um, chapter 5, but I'll just give you the pretext. So this is Adam. He knew his wife, Eve. So you guys know what that means. I'm not going to explain it. But um, Abel, Cain came first and then Abel came after. And they offered a sacrifice to God, right? So the problem, because there's so many people who have different interpretations of this. So what I look at it as is when Cave sacrificed his offering to God, A, it wasn't really a sacrifice because he didn't lose anything. He just burned the fruit of the earth, the Bible said, and then we know that Abel was a shepherd and then he sacrificed some of his meat, his animals, his livestock. So that would prove more of a sacrifice. But the thing is, is the intent of the heart. Cain didn't really believe that he sinned and Abel believed that he sinned, but he was able, no pun intended, he was able to still sacrifice a true sacrificial offering to God. So we know that they both sin because because of the fact that they both sin, that's why they gave a sacrifice. It's just Cain just did any old sacrifice because he didn't believe he sinned. Abel was cognizant of the fact that he did sin and he gave up the sacrifice. So a lot of people don't believe that Abel was the transgressor or was a transgressor, but he was because if he wasn't, then he wouldn't be sacrificing in the first place. So we got to make sure that it's clear. So one thing that God requires is a sacrifice. And we know that Christ was our sacrifice, so we don't need to do all that type of stuff anymore. But you are a living sacrifice if you think about it, because I believe in the New Testament, it does say that um, offering yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. So it's basically the least you could do for what Christ has done. So sometimes some things you're going to have to sacrifice. So going on and continuing on, because I don't want to be off topic. So this is what it says. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth at his count and his countenance fell. So basically, his he has a problem because God did not respect his cheap offering. And mainly is because he, God knew that Cain was not trying to be actually repentful of his sins. And then his countenance fell. So basically, his countenance is like his demeanor changed is the best word I could find for that. So, and then in the next verse, in verse six, it says, and the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? Why are you upset? And why is your countenance fallen? Why do you have a sad demeanor? If thou doest well, if you do well, shouldn't you be accepted? And if you do not well, sin is waiting at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and he came to pass and rose upon him on the field. 
and he slew him. So look what happened. So God explained it. And this is how we battle sin every day because we know it. We have a choice. We have an option. Adam had a choice. Cain had a choice and they both failed. So this is how we do it. It's basically in chapter 4 and chapter 7. I mean, verse 7. We can see that God says that if you do well, then you will be accepted. If you don't do well, then sin is waiting. So it's waiting for you to choose it. And what happens is when you choose sin, now sin becomes the ruler of you. You don't rule sin anymore because Christ came to die so that you can have life and have it more abundantly that you can, uh, so he can reign over you and not be, and you won't have to be entangled yet again in the yoke of bondage. So you don't have to let sin reign. As Paul said, is do not let sin reign. So you, when it comes to it, and Jesus said it himself, is you're going to either serve one or the other. You can't serve both. So that's why God made it clear is that if you just do right and try your best to do right, then you will be accepted, all right? But if you don't do that, if you don't do it, then sin's going to wait at the door, waiting for you to choose it, and then it's going to master you. So that's what happened with the first murder. That's what happened with it. Because Cain, instead of Cain forgiving, or not really forgiving, instead of Cain just doing what his brother was doing, instead of getting him getting mad, you saw that in the previous verses in verse five he got upset because his brother's sacrifice was accepted before his own sacrifice instead of doing what his brother was doing he chose to get mad he thought about it and then god stopped him before because usually god does stop you before you do something stupid then he disregarded what god said and then he went and did it anyways and guess what happened? He killed his brother. And then later on in that chapter, I suggest you guys read it. He tries to deny it. He's like, I'm not my brother's keeper. But I don't know what you're talking about. So that's one thing we have to pay attention when it comes to the murder. A lot of the times, it is premeditated. I know in the law system, we have different degrees of murders. We have murder in the first degree, which is premeditated. We have second degree, we have third degree, we have manslaughter, and then you have unlawful homicide, all these different types of variations of murder. But essentially, it's basically murdering the innocent, taking the life away from a person that had nothing or is innocent under the law per se, but did not do anything. It wasn't warranted because what it really is to God is you're taking away a life that he didn't tell you to take away. So you thought that that person's life should be taken away instead of God is the deciding factor. He is the arbitrary ruler of the universe. He is the one that gets to decide whether one should live and whether one should die. It's his decision because he is the essence of what life is. All life comes from him. And everything that is created is meant for his purpose and for his good pleasure. So what we have to understand is we do not determine it. So a lot of the 
wars that happened throughout the Old Testament when the children of Israel, after exiling from Egypt, were going on a, I wouldn't say a rampage, but they were going on and slewing a whole bunch of different nations for their ill practices that upset the Lord. And the part of the reasons why the flood happened in Genesis chapter 6 with Noah being and his family being saved, he was the only righteous one in his generation. And that's what you guys want to make sure that you are in this generation. You want to be one of the righteous ones. So when Christ comes back, you go up with him. But what we have to understand with that cause, what we have to make clear is that there was so much wickedness happening and transpiring and God cannot cope with wickedness, meaning that He's so holy, he's so just, he's so righteous that even the appearance of evil disturbs him. He hates it. That's one of the things that we know that God hates. He does not like sin. It's like, it's basically how um, if you guys were to have garbage, because yo, can somebody answer this question? Why? Does garbage smell worse in the summer? I don't know what it is, but imagine you have a bunch of garbage bins in your house and it's like 45 degrees Celsius inside your house. So it's hot, stinking garbage, like a dump. And that stench is basically repulsive to you. You wouldn't even eat. You wouldn't want to stay there. You would want to leave or move out. That's exactly how God views your sin or sin in general. It's like a nasty, repulsive stench before his presence. And because he's so good and he's so righteous and he's so just, he can't, he has to deal with it. It Just like how you would want to deal with the stench in your house. You go to the source and you remove it by any means. So that's what murder is to him. It's unlawful. It's not just. That's why when somebody gets murdered, there are people who are affected by that murder cry for justice because he was taken away unjustly or she was taken away unjustified. And that's what we have to make sure that is clear. We must understand this. Because if we don't understand what murder is, and I'm sure most people do, but if we don't understand it from a biblical perspective, then we're lost because people bend it. Even abortions, I know that's a taboo. God would count that as murder because basically in that time period, the Canaanites, the Ammonites, all these different ites, (laughs) Philistines, and all these different people, and in Mesopotamian cultures, as well, like the ancient ones, not like the Mayans and certain ones, they would do human sacrifices or child sacrifices where they would sacrifice their children or their babies to the young. And some people would argue that abortion is essentially the modern version of that. And it's became... It has become more of a uh, philosophical, more of a moralistic, more of a 
scientific argument of those who are opposed and all those who are for it. But when it comes down to the root of it is more or less a theological issue above all. And until we come to that conclusion, it's not going to go anywhere until people feel compassion towards unborn children like they ought to, then it's not going to change anything. So that still counts as murder to God. Whether you agree with it or not, that's another day. You want to argue from a scientific perspective, uh, you can do that. But I'm just talking based on the talking points of Scripture because that's the most important thing above all. So, innocent blood... I'm going to take it a step further because the Bible does that. Because when it comes to murder, the first thing we think is the action, right? Because it is, it's a noun that describes an action. And it also is a verb as well. It can be a verb. But what I find funny, it's not really funny, but what I find interesting is that when Christ speaks, especially in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, how he's able to make hyperbolic statements and take it a step further to show you that it's the thought that leads to the action. Because that's all it is. The heart and the mind leads to the action. If you think about pizza all day, eventually you're going to want to order pizza, then you're going to do it. It's just that plain and simple. You're going to want to do it because you're thinking about it. Like the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. As Descartes would say, I think, therefore I am. So when it comes to these ideas Christ even said, if you have hatred in your heart towards another brother, I count it as murder. Because that hatred that came, because he said he was, the Bible said he was wroth against his brother and his countenance fell. So that hatred that was in his heart was there. Sin waits for you to make the decision whether you're going to say, you know what, I shouldn't be mad. I don't even know why he was mad because, like, bro, I don't like why would you even be mad because his brother's thing was accepted and yours wasn't? You didn't acknowledge anything. That's basically narcissistic. You didn't acknowledge that you were sinned, number one. Number two, there's nobody there to, like, at least in today's society, you can say, oh, you made me look bad in front of the church. Bro, there's like literally four people here, five, including God. And we don't even really know if their parents were there when it happened. Like, they were cognizant of it happening. Because we only get the perspective of God and Cain and Abel. So, my thing is is what the Bible says. Jesus took it a step further. There's like, if you even have hatred in your heart towards another brother, you need to get that out. Because that could lead to that. 
And people are like, ah, oh, bro, you tripping, dog. You out of pocket. But am I really out of pocket? Because if he was that angry at his brother or that wrath against his own flesh and blood to murder him, who's to say that we're far from it? A lot of the murders that took place, if you ask them, and if you do your own census or you do your own studies and collect data, you will find that a lot of the people were just angry or mad about something or wanted revenge against someone. And it's unlawful and they're punished by the law. So we have to think a little bit deeper and I hope I was able to do justice to that part because we just think about murders as these weird different people that are crazed out and all that stuff but sometimes it's not that they're crazy per se sometimes it just comes from a place of hatred because if you even look at history with different things, especially in uh, American history with lynching, lynching of black people, for sure. And I'm not trying to make this a racialized topic, but lynching existed pre-black people living in America. What happened was it was vigilante law at one point, and then it escalated, and then they reformed it to capital punishment, all right, or the death penalty. But what ended up happening is, um, especially when the KKK started rising up in the late 1800s or mid to late 1800s, and then basically with the movie Birth of a Nation took off, painting the KKK in a positive light. It was the first movie ever played in the White House. What ended up happening, people started taking it in their own hands. And this was during Jim Crow era. So after, uh, I think it was post reconstruction. So that's when you saw the rising of uh, lynching of black people. So W.E.B. Du Bois and Ida B. Wells were a few of the people who worked for the NCAA. Oh, wow, shoot. My bad, <laughs> I said NCAA, NAACP, bro. Oh my, I almost lost my black card for that. But, um. Yeah, see, it's because I haven't watched sports in a minute. But the NAACP were fighting against that in that period. And that, to me, all those cases, because a lot of the cases were false cases, false accusations of black men raping white women or them saying that they stole property or stole something so just so they can do it. That comes from a place of hatred. Okay? That's why Christ took it the step further and told you to get it out of your heart so you don't get in that state of mind where you want to murder. So hopefully this episode was very impactful for you. It was a little bit different for me. Don't really talk about these certain topics a lot, but hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And with that said, this is your boy, Darius D. Make sure you do subscribe to this podcast on whatever podcast platform you so choose to use. Also, Make sure you leave a five-star review on Apple iTunes where you get your podcast and share, share, share with your family and friends because it shows that you, that you, in fact, care about the progress of the show. 
And man, I love making this stuff. And I think we're going to be doing another one next week, Wednesday. So with that said, this is Boy Dears D signing off once again. So just chill, just chill till the next episode.